A steaming cup of good coffee can start your morning off right. As you savor each sip, the day comes into focus. If your coffee comes from Carabello Coffee, it's roasted and brewed with a side order of compassion. What started out as a hobby in 2009 for Justin Carabello is now supporting charitable work in Nicaragua and other underdeveloped coffee-producing countries. The business began in his garage and has grown into its own established coffee house in Newport, Kentucky. And if you dine out and enjoy a cup of coffee after your meal, there is a very good chance it's from Carabello. I'm Rob Braun, and this is Justin Carabello's take on How You Make It, presented by Heritage Bank. Justin, thanks for coming in. We're just so excited to hear your story today. And I have to tell you that I was introduced to your coffee through a gift at Christmas time. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And I had no idea who you were, what the name was, uh, and what the coffee was. And frankly, I thought, well, that's a weird gift, coffee at Christmas. (laughs) And then I tried it, and I was hooked. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. There is such a difference to what you do. But you started in a garage. Well, yeah, we did. And um, it was one of those things where, honestly, like, it just kind of came out of left field. My wife and I were teachers at the time. I was a music teacher. She was an art teacher at Miami Valley Christian Academy in Newtown. And a friend of mine came to dinner. He had this, like, little baggie of coffee that he said he roasted in a popcorn popper. And he wanted to brew it up after dinner. And I'm like... Okay, sure, man. Let's brew your janky coffee. And, and it was like the best cup of coffee I'd ever had. And I said, whoa, time out. How did you achieve in a $10 thrift store popcorn popper something that's better than I'm spending good money on? Yeah, and some fancy machine, right? Exactly. That was my introduction to the reality that, well, coffee is not just coffee. I mean, just like steak is in steak. I mean, if you if you grew up on Ponderosa and that's all you ever knew, yeah. and you thought this was steak, and then someone took you to Ruby's and got you the Cowboy 22-ounce you know, porterhouse, you would be like, whoa, wait a second, where was this all my life? Right. And that's how kind of was for me. I, d- I didn't realize that there's a much higher quality coffee out there. And this guy's like, yeah, I'm getting this coffee from this family in Honduras. They got relatives in the States. And I just buy like 50 pounds at a time and then roast it up at home. And I said, man, you got to show me how to do this. Yeah. I very quickly just became a hobbyist home roaster and discovered there's a whole subculture out there doing this thing. And I don't know, it just gripped me in a way that Really, uh, nothing else really has. You're doing coffee. Most people are doing this little scenario with beer. Right, exactly. So, and and how in the world do you get a good taste out of a popcorn popper? Yeah, well, that's a good question. So, you know, in a popcorn popper, you basically have all the same elements of heat transfer and the thermodynamics that go into coffee roasting that you would have in a traditional drum coffee roaster. So, you know, when you're roasting coffee, just think about it this way. A lot of people, you might roast a pine nut or you might roast like pecans or something like that. You're basically applying dry heat, whether it's through on a stovetop pan or in the oven. And that dry heat over time is caramelizing sugars and developing flavors that really bring out this beautiful sweetness in those nuts. And it's the same thing with coffee. Coffee is the seed of a cherry. And when that seed is roasted, it develops its unique flavor properties. And so that little popcorn popper, even though it's really tiny, um, you know, the way it spins and the way it applies heat is just almost the same as what you get in a large commercial drum roaster. I have to ask you, the 
how does a music teacher think that he's going to make a connection in Nicaragua yeah. and find <laughs> coffee to bring back and roast in his garage, right. and then somebody's going to want to drink it? I mean, that's a really long shot. Yeah, it re- yeah, it really is crazy. And the, the kind of the way things went down was, you know, I'm, I'm bebopping along doing this hobby thing, and at the same time, my wife's parents were involved in helping to raise funds to rescue 18 kids out of living in a trash dump in Somoto, Nicaragua, ah. and start an orphanage. So they're telling us these stories, and and we started giving to that. And um, But, you know, we had the limited income, and we could only give so much. And then just one day, I was on a plane. Uh, I was reading a Time Magazine article about small coffee farmers and how just the the playing field is really set against them and my mind's just going and all of a sudden it was just like blammo what if we could create a coffee roasting company that would leverage people's love of coffee and we deliver a really high quality product pay people well for it but then build this relational bridge to those communities and dump money back into those communities um like this like these kids in nicaragua what if we could help these kids um with people's love of coffee yeah and as and less time than I can even said that, like, I saw it. And, I, and so I turned to my wife and I said, hey, I got this crazy idea. What if we started this coffee roasting company, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, um, yeah, how would we do that? <laughs> like, what are you crazy? Like, where do you even buy a big coffee roaster? Like, how, you know, and it was true. Like, we truly didn't really have an idea of how we would do that. But it wouldn't go away. And it kind of was one of those ideas that kind of grew in strength and conviction. I thought, I got to try this. And so we got a little one-pound roaster, 300 bucks, eight pounds of coffee from Nicaragua, sent an email out to all my friends and colleagues and everything, said, hey, I'm going to roast this coffee. If you want some, 10 bucks a bag, I'm going to give whatever's left over to these kiddos in, in Nicaragua. And, man, people wrote back, like, that's cool. I mean, I want some. And, you know, then it was 16 pounds, and then it was 32 pounds, and then I'm buying 100 pounds, and I'm buying 300 pounds, and all of a sudden I'm driving around town, meeting people in parking lots, you know, like getting phone calls like, hey, my friend said you're like the coffee guy, like, <laughs> can I get some, you know? <laughs> and um, at the same time, we started traveling to Nicaragua to meet these kids, to see what was happening, and then... I saw this I, I saw this coffee available on a website by this gentleman named Luis Alberto Bayadares and he had won first place in an international competition for his coffee and I bought some of it and it was so amazing um, and I'm like this guy's like 15 kilometers from this orphanage I, I want to meet him like what if I could form a relationship with him like he took the winnings from uh, this competition lot and he built houses for the poor in his community. I thought this man sounds like somebody that, ha- that has, that's running a business in a way that I want to run a business. And so I, next time we got to Nicaragua, cause I couldn't, I was like Google searching him, couldn't find anything on this guy, get to Nicaragua. And I said to the only person I knew, Pastor Carlos Baez, who was running this orphanage, Hey, I'm trying to meet this guy named Luis. Um, I think he lives like near you. And, and I told him his name and he goes, Hey, I just met him last week and he pulls out his business card and he's like, yeah, let's call him up. And like within a half a day, I'm touring this guy's world-class coffee business operation. I find out he's not just some struggling farmer, but like his family was literally the first family in all of Nicaragua to plant coffee there. And uh, over 130 years ago, and he's doing tremendous work in his community um, to to better people's lives. He's a pastor. He's running all kinds of, you know, ministries and operations there. And I was just like, 
this is unbelievable. Well, we started a relationship and he sat me down and he said, look, you have the same heart as I do for business. And I want to invest in your dream. And I want to send you, it's so funny. He said, I want to send you 10 bags of my best coffee um, for free to your house. And, and then you can just roast it and like put the money into whatever you want. Whatever God shows you is what he said. Now, my wife and I are like, wait, does he mean like 10 like little bags of coffee? Yeah. And, and we're like, okay, like, what do you mean? He said like, well, 10 sacks, like 10, 10, like 150 pounds each. <laughs> so we're like, wait, this guy's giving us like 1500 pounds of coffee. <laughs> and, um, that was 11 years ago. And that's, that's how our relationship started. Actually, I think it was 13 years ago. And, um, it's just grown ever since. Now we're bringing in literally we we will bring in uh, thirty seven thousand pounds of coffee from him this year. Wow! That will go out to all kinds of businesses, restaurants, churches all over the city. So was there ever a time, maybe on the plane to Nicaragua, when you're thinking about this and and the wonderful things you want to do about it, and then you remembered that you were in competition with Starbucks? Yeah. Most well, people don't make it. Yeah, it's you know it's you're right. Uh, and the crazy thing about Starbucks, well, in a good way, is that, you know, they brought this idea of a better cup of coffee and a higher level coffee experience to the yeah. states, and they pushed it out all across this country. And you think about it, you, you know, but before 1984, when Howard Schultz like gets this crazy idea, of, let's do this Italian espresso thing. You know, what's, where's America getting coffee? You know, you're thinking like tr- truck stops, diners, like your coffee was like Maxwell House was like, and I'm sorry if they're a sponsor or something, but they were, that was like it, you know, like yeah. Folgers, Maxwell House, that was coffee. And, um, you know, they really elevated coffee and people's perception of coffee and where it fit into your life. And so in a lot of ways, they're kind of have opened the door for people like us because all of a sudden the market has an awareness that there's something better. And so, you know, when we start in 2009, it's right in that period of time where you got all these hipsters doing this maker thing and they're like, you know, wearing their skinny jeans and they want to do everything by hand and salt to the earth and bootstrap it. And, you know, and I know there was a whole population of people in late Gen X and the early millennials who were like, yes, I want something that feels authentic. I can like touch these people. They're real. They're just like me and they're passionate and they're driven by passion to do this thing. And you think of the Tom shoes thing. It was like, yeah, run a business well and help somebody over here. Like that was just in the water. And so in a lot of ways, even though you're right, places like Starbucks and big businesses like that present a lot of competition, but at the same time, people are, we're looking for something different and something that, that they could connect with and you can't feel an emotional connection to Starbucks. I don't think in the, in the same way. It's so large corporately. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not your neighborhood place like yours is. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm hearing from you what I'm hearing from many others. And that is, this was an idea that you couldn't stand not to do. So the the enormity of it was palatable because you had to do it. Yeah. Is that fair? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it was, you know, at, <laughs> yeah, it was like, we, we have to do this. We have to try. Like, I would rather, I would rather really go for this idea and fail than 
not do it and wonder if it would have worked. Well, and that's the other part of this. Entrepreneurs generally uh, don't worry about failure. I mean, you can't. Right. You, you can't afford it. Right. Right. You, you lose your focus. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, in our situation, that we, we were committed. Like, my wife and I decided, okay, look, like, we're going to do this thing um, a little at a time. We're going to be very organic about it. We're going to grow it as we can. And so we're not going, you know, we didn't run out there and say, hey, let's get 200 grand. Let's find some investors. Boom. We have this coffee business. Um, you know, we really, we, we didn't take anything from the business financially for four years. I continued to teach. We grew so it smart. to a point where after four years and, you know, I, I had two full-time jobs. Yeah. <laughs> and at that point it was like, okay, we can do this now. And the business was at a point where it could replace the salary that I was making at the school. Yeah. So, you know, like we just saw that, like, if we, if we take that pathway, then, then we're not putting our lives at risk. Now it's a much longer, much longer road, you know, but that's kind of how we decided we would do it. Like we're, we're not going to take outside money. Um, we're not going to go get a big loan. Um, we're going to, we're going to self fund this as long as we can and, and build it from the ground up. That is the smartest thing you could have done i think so, so many people die because they live out of the business yeah too fast too right. large right they decide that this is something that's going to cause them to work less yeah this is going to make you smile they're yeah. going to work less choose their own hours and they can go on vacation a lot yeah. right i mean yeah what i always say is like yes as a as a small business owner you get to decide what 12 hours you want to work every day <laughs> You can decide which which twelve. Yeah. Um, yeah. We. You know. It's it's one of the things that I think has really defined defined us as business owners is we decided that we are going to shape our lives around what the business can give us. So, like when we started, we we had one car. We didn't have internet in our home. We didn't have cable. We 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 paired all of our expenses back to what was the basics that we could live on. And we determined that we are going to take um, as little from the business early on as we can so that it has the maximum resources to be able to grow and develop and to be healthy and thrive. And that is a decision that I think, honestly, a lot of people don't want to make. They want to, you know, start something and at the same time have really more than the business can give them. Yes. And I, I see that happening a lot, and that works against them. I agree. And it's not really that you're going to get rich quick by any stretch of the no. imagination. It's about the ride. Would yeah. you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Because, like, like in our industry, I mean, the world of coffee, like, the, the, it, it's all about the relationships that you develop along the way. Like, like today, it, could I have made more money taking my skill sets and leveraging it in the marketplace for 13 years, yes, I could be earning, you know, 3x, 4x what I'm earning now, I'm sure. But could I be, would I be as relationally rich? Yeah. No. Would I have the capital that in my community? Would my voice count uh, when I speak? Maybe not. You know, th there's so many other factors that, you know, in, Investing in a community and building a business that's about people 
And that's about connecting people, whether it's through serving them through a service or products you provide. Like there, there are so many intangibles that oftentimes are very difficult to quantify that really when you put them together, that's what equals that, that satisfaction that like, you know what? I, I wouldn't trade this for money. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not, oh, yeah. Not, not that I don't want to earn money and 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 supply and and provide for my family and have a, you know, the hope of a of a future. And I would what I would love to believe there's a pot of gold at some and <laughs> some rainbow. Trust me. But you know, when I put my head on my pillow at night, um, those other things, you know, knowing knowing that your life counts and that you do something that brings joy to other people. Yeah. Man, there you can't put a price on that. No, I mean, and I'm sure you feel so fortunate to be in that I do. position. I do. So luck plays a somewhat yep. of a role in this. One hundred percent. And you had one of the luckiest things going, and that I can ever believe, and that is that you didn't have to hire somebody to determine what are we going to call this. <laughs> You yeah. came to the table with the perfect name oh, for a man. coffee business given to you by it's your family. So, I know. It's so, yeah, it's so funny because early on, my wife and I were stressing out over like, what are we going to call this thing? And we we're like, I don't know. We need some like cool name. And, you know, and we tried so many iterations of things and nothing was working. And finally, like literally I had to put something on the bag. Yeah. And I just grabbed a Sharpie and I just wrote like, well, Carabello coffee. And I, you know, started putting coffee in bags. And, and it was sort of like, well, at least we can use our name because nobody here, you know, I'm, I'm from the East Coast. It's a small Sicilian family. I'm like, well, nobody knows this name. And it kind of does have like a really nice ring to it, yeah. I, you know. So, <laughs> But it wasn't like we never set out from the beginning to be like, we're going to make a business and put our name on it. Or, yeah, it was never that at all. <laughs> But it works. It's funny. Oh, like people yeah. all the time, they'll walk into our coffee shop and they're like, um, so like, what's a Carabella? You know, <laughs> they're looking for like, <laughs> like a tart you, or something. <laughs> I don't know. Where did you get that? Where? I mean, you know, like, yeah, it's really cool. Um, Very cool. Yeah. I, I love that about what you're doing. So at some point when you're growing a business, uh, you need money. Yeah. So you got to go to the bank. Yep. You got to figure that out. Yep. And, that, and that's very difficult to do. It is. How, how did that work for you? Well, so yeah, we honestly, like we started out, uh, we were just banking at a really large national bank. And, um, you know, when, when we got to a point where we were, we had an opportunity to buy the building that we're, our coffee shop is presently in. Yeah. And so we were going to need an SBA loan and we were going to need to a small business administration loan and, and we wanted to revitalize it and whatnot. And so we went to this large national bank and, Hey, like, here's what we want to do. And we started the process and I'm not kidding you. It, 15 months later, we still had not closed this loan. And it was absolutely just the most devastating experience because we were just getting run around, run around. And finally, one of our city commissioners in Newport, uh, Ken Recton said, Hey, you got to talk to my buddy, Joe Mayer at Heritage Bank. Yeah. And, <laughs> like, you got to talk to him. Like he can help you. And I called Joe up and, and, and I explained the situation. And in 30 days, Joe got it done, got done with this other bank, couldn't get done for us in 15 months. And it was a real lesson for me to learn that like, oh, I need a bank that matches the size of my business and the scope of my business and the, and the focal point. And when I got with a small community 
bank that really was focused on Newport, Campbell County, Northern Kentucky, Cincinnati. Boy, what a difference it made. All of a sudden, I'm able to talk to real decision makers. I'm not getting some person in San Diego in a call center. I'm getting like real people who live in my community. And so for us, yeah, that that banking piece is important where, you know, what we had to learn was to grow a business, you know, can you self-fund everything? Well, maybe if you have enough time, but there are these points where you've got to invest in infrastructure or you've got to bring on new equipment and you've or you've got to buy a building. And those moments like you need partners in yeah. finance who can help you make sense of that in a way that's not going to crush your business um, and that's going to fund this growing entity that you're creating, right? And so, it, you know, it, it, Heritage, I don't know, I'm not making a commercial here, but they've been tremendous for us. Um, and I tell people all the time, like, find a bank that matches the size of your business, start early, build a line of credit, like get those key financial pieces just going, get a relationship. I, like I would walk every single deposit to the branch I, every day. I would talk to the people. I would build the relationships. Like yeah. the power of those relationships when it comes to needing the finances is huge. It is, absolutely. But, you, but a lot of people let that slip by and then, the business needs it. They don't yes. have a backstop. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One, one, one friend said to me early on, like, you don't wait. Cause you know, he said, well, you need to get a line of credit. I'm like, I don't need a line of credit. Like, why would I need a line of credit? He's like, well, you don't wait to get a line of credit till things are difficult and you need money. You get a line, you establish that when things are great, <laughs> knowing that right. there is going to come a day when you're yeah. going to want that. You don't wait. If you wait till then, you know, and you show up with your books and they're looking at them like, well, you know, you're losing some money here or something or things aren't great. It might be a little difficult to get that line, but you establish it early on and then, you know, th you build that history and it's there for you. Yeah, that's wonderful. So you um, are growing like leaps and bounds and your coffee is in some local restaurants. Are you yeah. allowed to say where it is? Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we're, we're in all the Jeff Ruby's restaurants um, besides Nashville and um, all the all the Crown Group restaurants. So Los Santi, Crown Republic, Five on Vine, uh, Rosie's Cocktails and Pies, great restaurants. Um, Hotel Covington over there uh, mm -hmm. on our side of the river and Coppins and B&A Street Kitchen. And yeah, just we we're working with some great folks. We're now down in Lexington at the new Manchester Hotel, American down there as well. And, um, you know, what we've found is like where people want to do quality and traceability is really important. High quality and traceability. I want to know where this came from, and I want it to be high quality. Like we really do well. And when it comes to fine dining, or at the end of a meal, I feel like we've we've hit we've hit on something there where we understand where that guest is at the end of that meal, what they want, what's gonna what's gonna be pleasing to them in yeah. the cup. And so we've got some great relationships and, and, you know, the Ruby family, the Anthony and Haley Sitek, and a lot of the folks are working with Hotel Covington. They've been great. Amazing. Amazing people. Well, you got good coffee. They want it. That makes sense. Yes. Right. It all works for yes. everybody. 100%. So uh, we touched on your philanthropic um, endeavor. Yes. I want to be a bit more specific. What, mm -hmm. Who are you supporting now and how yeah. much of this, when I buy a cup of coffee or a bag of coffee from you, 
how much of that money goes elsewhere to help yep. somebody who really needs it? That's a great question. So over the years, things have um, morphed and developed in Nicaragua, which is where our primary focus is. Like right now, we're working with an organization called the Mercy Kids, which which has really touched our heart. It's uh, actually was founded by some Cincinnati folks, um, and they have built a therapy center in a town called Jalapa, which is right in the heart of all the coffee region there. And they are they are helping up to about 250 families and children experiencing disability. And what we saw was as we spent time, I mean, I've been, you know, probably, you know, I don't know, 15, 18 times in Nicaragua over the years. And what we see is if you're a child that has a disability um, of any kind, you are really marginalized there is no there's no physical therapy occupational therapy speech therapy that that none of that exists outside of managua the capital city so these people are four and a half hour bus ride from managua and um ron and mary nelson here from cincinnati went down there saw this and said we got to do something and so today we've got this center where they have nine staff these kiddos are coming um you know receiving all kinds of wonderful help. In fact, they just took an entire team of um, doctoral uh, students, occupational therapy students from Ohio State University down for an entire week, just spent down there. Um, We got involved and started to raise funds and give to this because it really kind of fit what we were wanting. The, the orphanage that we started with kind of changed and grew and and those kiddos grew up and the vision wasn't like, let's create an orphanage that keeps replenishing itself. It was really more about the, that set of kids that were, you know, abandoned to that dump. So that kind of morphed and changed and we kind of shifted over. So that's one thing we're doing. The other thing we're doing that's really important, in my opinion, is we're working with five different producers there. Okay, coffee producers. And we have his, we have been helping annually to build into their businesses and to help build infrastructure on their farms um, and for their workers and for their people. So, you know, that every year has looked a little bit different. Sometimes it's looked like, you know, building, like help contributing to towards equipment they need. Sometimes it helps looking like them building housing or something for for people um but we're trying to invest in our producers so that like there is that connectivity that we're doing this together yeah right outside of that we we support some other organizations like compassion international we helped to found a compassion international child development center with crossroads church and luis we're now 250 kiddos in that community of ocotal nicaragua are coming and getting daily help with their school, food, um, and assistance. Um, That's been about two years going on now. So those are just a few of the things. We don't really do that like, oh, a dollar from every bag goes to this cause. Because to be honest, I mean, COVID is a great example. What, What would I have done when, you know, uh, the governor stands up March 16th, 2020 and smash, smacks me in the face and says, your business has to close yeah. if I'm saying a dollar from every bag is going over here. So, you know, like sometimes in business, you have to have the flexibility to, to we've always viewed it this way. If the business isn't healthy, like we suffer long term. So if we want to give over a long period of time, we've got to run a healthy business. So that giving is ebbing and flowing all the time. What we've tried to aim at, and I I think we've been pretty good at this, is 20% of our net profitability at a minimum going out the door into other um, causes. And that's a lot. It is a lot. Yeah. 
20 percent of small but, businesses. You know, is yeah, a lot. but well, it's and and again, I, you know, just 20 percent of our net profitability. So yeah. yeah, if we're making money, yeah, then we're giving. But you know, as you when you run a business, sometimes you don't make money. Right. And and you know, we can't starve the business short term to give and then not be here in five years. Yeah. That's, that's, you know what I'm saying? So we've always tried to reject this idea of like, well, you know, so much, cause I don't want to ever be a liar. I want to do what I say I'm going to do. And I, you know, sometimes those things I think can put business owners in a compromising position and then they maybe make decisions that they regret. Well, fascinating that you bring that up because most people would never imagine that someone who's been doing this for as long as you have is as established as you are, may suffer a month or two where you're not making money. Yeah. Oh, uh, it 100%. comes up. Yeah. Yep. And you can't ignore that or you're mm-hmm. going to go under. It's really true. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, like like the whole COVID experience is a great example because you know it, it, we get through the 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 first part and the, and you know PPP loan and all that help, but then on the other side, all of a sudden, like the supply chain for yeah. our industry went absolutely bonkers. You know, freight costs tripled, you know, um, the price of coffee shot through the roof. I mean, every every supplier raised their minimums. And all of a sudden I went from my the inventory I was required to carry because of even like those types of things. I, I was like carrying triple the amount of inventory. Well, that's cash. Yeah. That's not in my bank account anymore. It's in the form of supplies in my warehouse. Yeah. And so very quickly, some things can change in the market where where you can, yeah, you can go from sitting on a, a nice cushion to like, whoa, where did all the money go? But it's not that the business isn't doing well. Right, right. You can <laughs> you know, be selling it's, like it, crazy, the, right? Yes, but yeah. the conditions in the market demand that you have to make adjustments. And so, yeah, these are things that, that I think – Gee whiz! I mean, you know, you you learn as you go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you it can change. Do. It can change quickly. And I think when you quit learning, like you think you got it, you know, I, yeah. I figured it out. You're done. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, a lot of folks who are listening to us are thinking about doing something in the garage because yeah. it's a inkling they've had and they want to make it. So, what's your advice? Give me, yeah. you know, two or three things about. Yep. Um, the first thing I always say is you have to have a tenacity to be willing to give 150% of yourself for as long as it will take to to bring this thing to life that is in your heart. You know, if if when you look at it, you, you know, you're not going to, you can't count the entire cost because you're not going to know what it's going to be. But you have to be willing to do whatever it takes for as long as it takes to bring that thing to a place of maturity. And if you're not, then just don't do it. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna frustrate yourself, and you're probably gonna fail. Um, second thing I always tell people is you got to adjust your life to what the business can give you. Like, don't go into this. Like, I meet so many people like, oh, I want to start this coffee shop, and they have no they have no intention to work in it. They think they're gonna like start some business. <laughs> they're gonna hire a bunch of high school kids, and yeah. it's just gonna be great and awesome. And they're just gonna make a lot of money. I'm yeah. like, okay, well, that doesn't that doesn't happen anywhere. Like, you know, you, you have to adjust your life to what the business can give you. And if you if you view it in a long term, like don't sacrifice the long term for the short term gain. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you can pull a little bit more out now for yourself, 
but you could very well sacrifice your your future and, and the future success of what you want to do. And tank it because yes. that's when you're going to need that little pot of money exactly. that you just described yes. when the costs went yes. up and you don't have it anymore because you went to Florida. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing is, you know, you can't do this thing on your own and you, you need to focus on how do I build a culture that will attract and retain the kind of people that I want to work with. Really, really great people. Um, that I think that piece, big businesses tend to do that really well because they they have gotten to a point where they realize we can't do this without great people. I think as entrepreneurs and small business owners, we tend to not place maybe enough emphasis on. You know what? I need actually more talented people than me. Yeah, in the room, in the business, so smart working, and so early on for Emily and I. My wife, you know, we, we read this book, The E-Myth Revisited, which actually really helped us. And I highly recommend to anyone, if you want to grow a business, you have to realize that at some point you no longer are going to be doing the work of the business. You've got yeah. to get you've got to get above it and you've got to be backfilling yourself continually with really great people so that you can actually work on the business and and make it healthy and grow it. And that has trans that transformed our understanding. We, we were like, yeah. We need to force ourselves to think that way. And today we've got a team of 22 truly, really talented people who are just phenomenal at, at what we do. And, and we could never be, we would not have the success we have now if it wasn't for them. It it's not because it. of Justin and Emily are amazing and they just <laughs> are, you know, no, it's, it's that we, we focused on what is it going to look like to make a place that people are going to love coming to work at and then let that attract people. And it's that served us really well. So those are the, that's my advice. Well, congratulations <laughs> on your success. It's been wonderful Thank to watch. You. I enjoy your coffee and, and thousands of other people do too. Well, that's kind of you. Justin Carabello, thanks for being with us. Carabello Coffee. Thank you. Presented by Heritage Bank, member FDIC. Mike Crow is the director of SBA Lending at Heritage Bank, and we're talking to a lot of small business owners, mostly successes. But I want to ask a veteran banker, you, to tell us why most small businesses don't make it. Yeah, honestly, Rob, um, a lot of times what you see is a lack of capital. It, during lean times, which we're kind of experiencing currently, you can only cut expenses so much. Rent, inventory, utilities, uh, payroll, these are still costs a business owner has to cover. So, you know, working with your bank and having a good relationship with the bank really helps prevent or helps you as a small business owner protect against those downturns. A good business banker can help you develop strategies to help build cash reserves as well as um, accessing capital so that you can finance yourself through these periods. Well, let's talk about the other reasons we a mm -hmm. failure of small mm -hmm. business. The one we established is lack of capital. Mm -hmm. The next one is folks don't know how to manage their money. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, a lot of times businesses kind of make it in spite of themselves, to be quite honest with you. It's really a key from my perspective that a lot of small businesses, you know, you're, you're looking at your staff itself. You have the owner and then you'll have your staff that supports you. Oftentimes you're working with an outside accountant and an outside lawyer. And what I strongly recommend to the businesses I work with is to go out and interview those CPAs and interview that attorney. 
These are going to be your advisors to your business on an ongoing basis. And it's really important that you have somebody that you can communicate with, that you can take advice from, take criticism from, quite frankly, and that also can provide you guidance and assistance to help you grow your business going forward. And the business plan Mm -hmm. um, is something you, first of all, have to present to the bank. But then business planning as you're operating is something that is a constant. Right. And that is correct. You have to be able to adapt. Situations change. The economy changes. Um, We're working with a number of businesses who have started as a result of COVID. And you're you're seeing a pivot in that business as uh, COVID testing and things have changed. They're now migrating their business into other fields so that they're expanding revenue opportunities. So you always have to be aware of changes in the economy so that you're making the changes necessary to keep yourself on the front line. Yeah. A lot of businesses that we know and are um, accepted and seem to be very popular and successful also have months where they don't make money. That is absolutely correct. That's a misnomer. I mean, most people think that that guy, he's killing it. And he's probably in the Bahamas while all these people are working his business. But it doesn't work that way, does it? No, it really doesn't. If you want to have a successful business, you have to be an engaged owner. You have to be there on a daily basis. Nobody is going to watch that business like you do. Um, Yeah, the other thing is there is seasonality in business. And it's important, you know, depending on the business that you're in, you have to be prepared for that type of seasonality. So if the summertime is your slow time, you have to build up some cash reserves or have some access to capital that you've created um, during the winter or this early spring months to carry you over those slow periods. Is a CPA or an attorney or anybody who's going to be on my, quote, team, are they willing to talk to me about my idea? A lot of times they are. Um, you know, you have to, if you're looking for somebody, I would recommend if you have a banking relationship, yeah. reach out to your banker because we have a lot of contacts in those fields. They understand what we do. They understand how we do things. And quite frankly, they, they know what they're getting when they're dealing with us.